Hello and welcome to the CAAV podcast. You're listening to episode 38 and we have a new voice on the podcast today. I'm joined by Rebecca Collins, Policy and Technical Advisor to the CAAV. Welcome, Rebecca. Hi, Alid. It's a pleasure to be here and I'm excited to do my first podcast. Oh, it's brilliant to have you. And I know you're coming up to your first 12 months with the CAV and uh, you've been very busy tackling a number of topics, one of which is trying to get to grips with all the changes coming down the tracks to the letting of residential property in Wales. Uh, I don't envy you in that. There's quite a lot to get your head around. Uh, These are changes brought about by the Renting Homes Wales Act 2016, which is only now being implemented. And the key date to remember Remember is the 15th of July this year. So Rebecca, what's changing on the 15th of July? Well, Alid, there's quite some significant changes in, in Wales and, and you're absolutely right. We've got the 2016 Act, which many will sort of remember at the time, uh, which was put on pause. It's had some amendments to it, um, as well as a flurry of statutory instruments that support, um, that support what the Act wants to achieve. Um, And essentially on the 15th of July, I suppose the headline is, is that assured shorthold tenancies, ASTs, cease to exist. They no longer um, will exist in in their current form and they change to something else. A new form of contract is being introduced. And for new lettings, it will be that new form of contract that um, agents and landlords will, will need to use. And there's some new terminology to to learn, which actually means exactly the same um, as what we're all familiar with. So um, tenancy agreements in a generic form get referred to in the residential uh, arena now as occupation contracts. And ASTs um, will essentially convert to a type of occupation contract that will be called a standard contract. There is another type of contract Um, that's being created a secure contract that's really aimed at sort of uh, local authority type landlords but there's nothing stopping a private landlord from using one if they if they wish to do so Um, unlikely that that'll happen in practice but it is there as a as an option and then in terms of other new terminology rather than being called tenants um, we start to hear this these the term contract holders Um, But essentially, it means exactly the same thing. And we'll come on to looking at some more the nuts and bolts of what's within these contracts in in just a moment. But in general, Rebecca, are these occupation contracts designed to give more protection to tenants, or should I say more protection to contract holders? Yes. um, I mean, essentially, what what is being introduced gives more security for, particularly under the new contracts for new agreements that that are are let with longer notice periods. But also what we're seeing um, sort of creep in are some additional protections around um, the right for succession in agreements, um, some new standards for landlords to be aware of in terms of the condition of the dwelling, particularly around health and safety for things like fire and carbon monoxide and electrical safety. 
So most of our listeners, no doubt, will be very familiar with assured short-old tenancies, ASTs. They'll cease to exist um, come the 15th of July. Am I right in saying that? Yes, that's right. So they don't end. Um, so any agreements that exist um, on the 15th of July won't be brought to an end, but instead they convert um, and this is quite an unusual terminology, but they convert to an, an to the new style of contract. Um, and there's a procedure that, that landlords and agents will need to go through to make sure that that, that conversion process happens. And is there anything else within the scope of the Act? Um, y- yes, there is. So not not it's not only just ASTs that will be brought into scope. Um, it's worth looking at Section 7, uh, which states that a tenancy or a licence will be an occupation contract if it's made between a landlord and an individual um, and that it confers on that individual or more than one, if there is if there is more than one, the right to occupy a dwelling as a home and that rent or other consideration is payable under it. So that sounds quite broad and, and could essentially include everything um, if we if we take it literally. There are some definitions though to be to be borne in, in mind. So the definition of dwelling, um, obviously it's those in Wales, um, which is, is fairly self-explanatory. Um, but it doesn't include, dwelling doesn't include a structure or vehicle which can be moved. So things like caravans, boats, mobile homes will be outside of the scope of the Act. It does include, a dwelling does include land that's occupied with a dwelling, unless that land is agricultural land that extends to more than two, two acres or more, which, which is helpful and that, and that dovetails with, with the other statutes. And then there is some very specific exclusions. So tenancies that are subject to the Rent Act, the Rent Act 1977 or the Rent Agriculture Act 1976 are excluded, as well as um, agricultural tenancies or dwellings under the um, Agricultural Holdings Act 1986 or a farm business tenancy um, is also excluded, as well as any dwelling that might be part of, of a landlord and tenant act, a business tenancy, um, would be excluded. And also the other important one are long tenancies of more than 21 years. So by the time you've kind of worked through what's included, which when you start looking at Section 7 sounds like everything, all dwellings, actually when you then apply the, the exclusions, what you're left with is a short tenancies, a short shorthold tenancies, service occupancies, in, including um, short agricultural occupancies, and it's really useful to point out th- those exclusions so we can we can know what's in and what's out. Um, but there'll be a huge amount of ASTs around in Wales uh, already in existence. What happens in that conversion process? Talk us through what will happen in that um, period after the 15th of July. Okay, so landlords and agents will have a period of six months to comply. And that six months period has been called the information provision period. And during that period, although it may be prudent to start before the 15th of July, and certainly depending on the size of a portfolio, that that might be very sensible if you've got a large number to go through. Um, to ease the burden. Um, But before the sort of expiry of six months, around the middle of January 2023, um, landlords must provide uh, the new form of of written statement of contract 
to their existing tenants. So, and there's a process which which they have to go through to do that. And essentially, they need to take each existing agreement and compare it with a new form of contract. Now, there'll be some things with a new form of contract that have to stay and will take precedence over and above what might be included in the existing contract. And these are referred to as fundamental terms. So so the Renting Homes Wales Act introduced what's called these fundamental terms, and essentially they cannot be changed or modified or substituted with with an alternative. They are, by definition, they are fundamental and they, they should remain in all contracts, including the ones that convert. So... If there is a sort of a a mismatch between what's in the current uh, tenancy, and there almost certainly will be, um, between any of the fundamental terms, it's the the new fundamental term that, that is to remain. Other terms of the existing tenancy agreement can actually be incorporated. So, for example, if there is a... Um, if the landlord has given consent for the home, for the dwelling to be used as a, as a business, perhaps somebody works from home at the moment um, and runs their business from there, that would normally, under the new um, form of contract, be called a supplemental term, and it is completely allowed to change those supplemental terms. So you can essentially, you have to cherry pick your way through an existing agreement, working out what's a fundamental term, what's supplemental, and making sure that you retain those the fundamental terms in, in a new new agreement. So it's a little bit like a, a compare a compare and contrast type exercise. I think once an agent has done one, it will it will become easier. And will the Welsh government provide some templates to work from? Yes, so they have provided some templates. They're going to look very unfamiliar and much much longer than a, than an existing AST document. They run to many pages. And the reason for this is that the within the, the Act and within and then the statutory instruments that support it, there's prescribed information um, that has to be included with the new form of contract, really providing explanatory information to a contract holder about what terms mean um, and what they should do if they feel that the landlord has breached one of those terms um, and what their rights are. So there's an awful lot more information um, in the new contracts than than we would be familiar with when we're looking at at a classic short-short tenancy. And when a landlord or their agent uh, drafts the new occupation contract using the template and, and working out what's in and, and, and what terms might need to be amended or, or changed to, to suit the situation, they issue that contract uh, to the um, contract holder, the tenant. D- does that tenant need to sign and agree to the new contract? What's the process w- with that? That's a really good question, Alid. And and actually, there's nothing interestingly um, in terms of what's contained within the Act and the requirements that's placed on the landlord. There isn't actually a strict requirement for the tenant to sign the document or to even acknowledge receipt. However, from a, from an estate management point of view and and from a sort of record keeping view, point of view, we would recommend that wherever practical, that actually the contract holder, the tenant is asked to sign. Um, And, you know, that that 
or be easier in some instances than others. But if if that's not practical, particularly perhaps on larger estates or larger portfolios, we certainly recommend that that record keeping includes. Um, you know, recorded delivery when it was posted and that those records are kept so that the landlord can demonstrate that they've complied with their obligations under the Act. Now, tell us a bit more about the processes involved when a landlord wants to let a new dwelling uh, enter in a new occupation contract on or after the 15th of July. So for a new dwelling, um, the contract holder must be provided with the written statement, the written contract, within 14 days at the start of of the contract. Um, And that's quite important. And what what the Act's introducing are sort of potential penalties if the landlord um, or an agent, but it would be fall on the the landlord, um, penalties um, if they don't do that. Uh, It's possible for a contract holder to apply to court um, for an order to inc- to get compensation on the basis of the fact that the landlord has failed to provide that written statement. Um, and the contract holder also has a right to set off and potentially be able to withhold rent for each day that the written statement is late. So that's quite an important point. Before entering into the contract, and some of this won't be too unfamiliar for people who are used to short, short-haul tenancies at the moment, but there are some new obligations in terms of the standard condition of the property and the information that has to also be provided to the contract holder. So as before, um, there is a requirement to provide gas safety certificates, um, to be able to, to provide um, sort of confirmation that, that the deposit has been protected. All of that carries forward as it was under the short 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 tenancy regime. But there are some new requirements in terms of obligations which are perhaps less familiar um, regarding the standard of the property. And this is where we start seeing um, the new regulations called fitness for human habitation regulations um, being introduced. And they apply for all new tenancies that are granted from the 15th of July. Those regulations will also apply to any existing tenancies that converted on the 15th of July, but there is a period of grace of 12 months for compliance. Those um, new obligations, um, I suppose that the key ones, there's actually a list of 29 things that a landlord or agent should check regarding the standard of a property before occupation commences. And if, if the dwelling falls short on any of those 29 items, it cannot be, the, the dwelling can't be considered as fit for human habitation with the potential that that would prevent a valid notice to regain possession from being served. So the landlord really needs to make sure that the dwelling does comply with those 29 items before the occupation um, commences. And the new fitness for human habitation regulations uh, clearly are very, very important. And you mentioned there's a long list of, of items that would need to be checked. What what do you think are the, the main ones? What are the most important ones that landlords should really take note of? I think the most notable ones um, are this new requirement for um, smoke alarms. And 
unlike uh, other parts of, of the UK, I mean, England, it, it, is, it has a requirement for smoke alarms. What's uh, key here is that they have to be mains wired uh, smoke detection and an alarm system. So each floor of a dwelling should have a smoke alarm that's wired to each other to alert um, all of the occupants to the fact that there there is a, a potential fire in in the building, um, and that's quite um, you know that that's quite a, a big ask. It particularly if you have a, a dwelling which is already occupied, because that may require lifting of floorboards um, unless you have surface mounted wiring, which which, which may not be um, very attractive. Um, you know that that requires a lot more work than just fitting a, a battery smoke alarm. The other thing which, and it really these two go hand in hand and should be done together or at least thought about together from an estate management point of view, are electrical safety standards. And these are almost identical to, to what is being introduced, what has been in place in England for, for a couple of years or more now, um, in that the in order to be fit for human habitation, there has to be an electrical safety inspection carried out on the dwelling which has to um, confirm and, and that obviously that has to be undertaken by someone who's suitably qualified and competent so you know for our purposes as an electrician we'll need to check the dwelling all of the appliances and fixtures and fittings in that dwelling to confirm that they they meet current wiring regulations um, and if they do, that's good. So a certificate will be issued. Um, the landlord and the agent, from an administrative point of view, agents must get a copy of that certificate, and that certificate must be given free of charge, a copy of it to the contract holder. Um, the certificates are generally valid for five years, so it is possible that you don't necessarily have to have a new certificate every time a new contract's entered into, but you will need to keep an eye on it to make sure that they don't become invalid by, by going beyond that five-year um, period. Um, the So if a valid certificate is issued, that's great. Occupation can, can commence. If there are, if the check flags up any deep sort of faults in, in the wiring or it doesn't quite meet the current standards, those will need to be rectified before occupation commences. Um, and we've seen this elsewhere in, in, in England. Quite often when a check is done, it, it can it can flush out issues such as a new consumer unit being required or a new cable being required um, to for, for an electric shower, for example. Again, could be fairly intrusive works um, but certainly just from a general planning perspective these things can take time so you need time before um, letting a dwelling to get those checks done um, just in case some further work is actually required before occupation can can commence. And are there Rebecca any other changes that um, that's worthy of mention? I think probably one of the key changes which will be of interest to most um, managing agents are the periods of possession of, or the no-fault no grounds, um, which, you know, under ASTs, that would be a Section 21. Um, under the new contracts, it's a Section 173. And the periods of notice for regaining possession on no-fault grounds change. There's two important things here. There's two differences, sorry, I should say, um, between existing contracts that convert and those new contracts that are entered into on or after the 15th of July. 
So I'll start with the existing contracts that convert, so your ASTs that convert to the new form of contracts. The notice period for those, for no-fault um, uh, grounds, remains at two months. And that's not abundantly clear when you first read the template document on the on the Welsh Government website. So the, the, the template contract doesn't make that explicitly clear. So it is important that the people are aware of that, um, that actually that, that remains. So you can still regain possession for no fault grounds, two months for existing um, ones that convert. For new contracts, the period of notice is six months but it cannot be served within the first six months of occupation. And it's the period of occupation here as opposed to the, to the, period, the term of the tenancy. So in effect, what that does is it, it means that unless there's a, a, a fault, a, a breach by the tenant, what that effectively means is, is that most contracts will, will therefore, they'll last for six months, uh, sorry, for 12 months. So they'll have a minimum, ter minimum term of 12 months. And what's the situation with joint tenants and uh, succession or any other sort of matters that do you think this need to be considered? Yeah, thanks, Alex. So I think, I mean, joint tenants is, is an interesting one and, and the, the Act fundamentally changes um, the position on, on tenancy law around joint tenants. There's an awful lot more freedom for um, tenants that, that have a joint tenancy for one tenant to leave and for another tenant to be able to um, enter into that, that tenant without the tenancy being brought to an end. And that actually, from a practical point of view, that can be helpful. Um, it gives landlords less, um, less choice over who's actually occupying a dwelling from a management administration perspective it makes it slightly it makes it easier for for the tenants particularly in 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 um houses that are that are shared with people that perhaps don't know each other um but yeah that's that has fundamentally changed in terms of succession um there is a right for somebody to succeed a, a tenancy um should the original tenant die um, and that applies to fixed term contracts as, as well as periodic. Um, however, um, the landlord does retain the ability to serve a Section 173 notice, the no fault ground. So they're not sort of indefinite, you know, people don't have the right to stay for their lifetime, as, as we see elsewhere um, under AHA um, um, Act, for example. But there are some limited rights of succession subject to some qualification and and whether or not uh, they sound almost familiar but whether they're a close relation or 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 a, or a spouse of the tenant um, and how long they may have lived in the dwelling so there are some qualifications around succession as well as some some sort of reassurance that ultimately the landlord would be able to serve a section 173 no fault um, notice to regain possession in summing up, uh, Rebecca, the, all these changes will, will require some adjustments in the practices for managing agents as well as that initial administration uh, and admin burden to convert existing ASTs to occupation contracts. But do you think this is an opportunity to more broadly review a residential portfolio and, and tackle some, some matters that need to be resolved between landlords and tenants from time to time? 
I think it is. I mean, I think you're absolutely right. I think the initial adjustment, there's a there's a big workload in terms of administrative burden of converting those existing contracts. I think in terms of managing agents, what they should be looking at are opportunities of vacant periods to address um, any electrical work that needs to, to be done um, to bring things up to standard, but perhaps thinking more broadly about, for example, the EPC rating of, of, of the dwelling, you know, if if you're lifting floorboards to um, fit a smoke alarm system um, and doing other work, you know, is it worth looking at that, that dwelling more holistically in terms of its EPC rating, for example, and carrying out additional work there, such as perhaps in underfloor insulation at the same time to improve its energy performance certificate? Because, you know, one, one thing that uh, most landlords would, would want is for the property to be let with as min- minimal vacant periods as possible. It's worth sort of thinking a little bit ahead on potential changes to EPCs um, and the minimum energy efficiency standards. We don't have that the information yet, but the direction of travel is, is potentially moving towards a band C. So I think it is worth where work has to be done, actually thinking slightly wider than what's required immediately to comply with this act and perhaps undertaking other work or indeed considering whether or not that the dwelling should continue to be let and, and does, does it sort of meet the landlord's objectives now and whether it could be you know, co- converted possibly into something else or maybe even sold. And finally, uh, we've covered a lot of really important points in, in this podcast. Are there any web notes available on the website or to come shortly which will give more commentary on some of these changes? There were some um, early web notes created earlier this year um, when we've had a first sort of draft at, at, at some of the um, at. Since then, a lot more regulations have now been created. Um, there will be a more detailed web note within the next couple of weeks on the website. So it's definitely worth keeping an eye on the website for those, as well as hopefully sort of before the end of May, um, we'll be updating the renting, you know, the, the, the guide to, to renting dwellings in, in Wales publication. Um, that will be having a bit of an overhaul and an update and, and will hopefully be uh, issued with, with a newsletter in summer. Um, and yes, and there's plenty of guidance on the Welsh Government website themselves. But yes, certainly our web note should be out on the website within the next couple of weeks. Well, Rebecca, thank you ever so much for joining this podcast and for talking through all the changes that are coming down the tracks very quickly now come the 15th of July. Um, CAAV members, of course, do keep an eye out on the website for that web note that will be coming up shortly. Uh, But thanks again to Rebecca Collins, Policy and Technical Advisor to the CAAV. This is your first podcast, first of many, I'm sure, but thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Alice. It's been a pleasure. And there we are. We've reached the end of yet another episode of the CAAV podcast. If you want to keep up to date with all future episodes or indeed catch up on previous ones, please head to our website or you can subscribe for free on whichever platform you use. Also, if you've got any feedback or ideas for future episodes, please get in touch by sending us an email to inquire at caav.org.uk. But that's it for today. Until the next time, thank you very much for listening and bye for now.